Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let me state this clearly, colleagues. I have never met with or had any conversation with any Russians or any foreign officials concerning any type of interference with any campaign or election in the United States. Further, I have no knowledge of any such conversations by anyone connected to the Trump campaign. Is that policy in writing somewhere? Uh, I, I think so. General Sessions, respectfully, you're not answering the question. Well, what is the question? There are none, Senator Wyden. There are none. This is a secret innuendo being leaked out there about me, and I don't appreciate it. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Trumpcast is the show about the man who turned 71 today, which means, well... I'd invite you to imagine a day long ago when Marianne McLeod Trump, that Scottish rose, held her second son, maybe cooed to him in Gaelic, her native language, saying something like, little one, please don't destroy America. And be careful of what you say to Lester Holt. Today we're talking about Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III. I want to hit that middle name the way my co-host Jamel Bowie does, because Beauregard is kind of the answer to Hussein and to those who used to hit Barack Obama's middle name hard with the same kind of innuendo. Attorney General Sessions testified before the Senate Intelligence Committee yesterday in what's not, in theory, a trial, but just a fact-finding mission to determine the nature of the Trump campaign and administration's contact with Russia, but more importantly, around the increasing possibility that the administration has obstructed efforts to get to the bottom of those contacts. My guest is Matt Miller, late of the Department of Justice, Matt is going to tell us, don't despair, justice is underway. And as another antidote to despair, we have today Donald Trump Jr. talking about hope. Now, why do you feel like your father was vindicated by the Comey testimony? Look, listen, you've known my father a long time, okay? When he tells you to do something, there's no, I hope there. There's no ambiguity. Right. And that's all he did with Comey. He said, I hope it goes this way, but you got to do your job. 
Well, maybe you shouldn't be. And by the way, that's basically what Putin told my dad last summer. You know, if these leaks help your campaign, I hope you can ease some of these sanctions when you get into office. But that's not a directive. Okay, that doesn't seem like something you should be saying. A lot of people tell me things like that all the time. Look. Here's some land to build a hotel on. I hope you'll tell your dad to look favorably on my country. Then I tell my dad, I hope you'll treat these people well because we have financial interests there. But that's not an order. It's just, oh. Okay, right. But it's just What? Well, it seems like you might be contradicting what you're saying. I just hope you can continue to be nice to my family and enjoy the high-profile friendship you like to flash around on social media. Okay, that message is coming through loud and clear. Keep up the great work, Don Jr., and I will be right back. The Audacity of Hoping was written and performed by Kate James and Steve Waltine. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. My guest is Matt Miller, late of the Department of Justice. Hi, Matt. Welcome to Trumpcast. Thanks for having me. Big fan of the show. So, Matt, we were all glued to this testimony by Jeff Sessions yesterday. Um, And, of course, Twitter was filled with, you know, people chipping off jokes about uh, this or that kind of strange expressions used by Jeff Sessions. Everyone loves to analyze his demeanor. But I want to talk about, A, his testimony as opposed to his demeanor, and also the purpose of these hearings, just so that it doesn't get lost in the spectacle. So tell us, how did we even get to a moment of our attorney general, Jeff Sessions, calling allegations against the president or himself scurrilous, as if he were a defense lawyer trying to rile up a jury? So, you know, look, I think obviously there is one big question that this committee is looking at, as is the special counsel, Bob Mueller, and that's what was the extent of connections between the Trump campaign, Trump associates, and, you know, some elements of the Russian government. And that's where this investigation started, and that's what got the Intelligence Committee uh, initially interested. Uh, but it's moved to another place, and it's moved to another place because of how the president has responded to the investigation. And the big questions, you know, yesterday, I think, they're at least the ones that are the most damaging, potentially long-term to the president and potentially long-term to Jeff Sessions, are how has the White House responded to that investigation? Have they obstructed justice? Uh, has the president personally committed a crime? And was Jeff Sessions involved in committing that crime? And if not involved, was he a witness? And look, DOJ is supposed to be independent from the White House when it comes to criminal investigations. And the the 
cardinal rule at DOJ. Every senior official knows that at some point you might be asked by the White House to do something wrong, you know, to interfere in an investigation, to either quash one, you know, quash an investigation of a president or his allies, or to accelerate an investigation of a president or his political opponents. And that is the red line that you don't cross. And if Sessions knew, and he could know from two ways, if he knew that the president was really firing over Jim, Jim Comey over Russia because the president said something to him, or if he knew about concerns from Comey's end about the president inappropriately interfering with the investigation, and he signed off on it anyway, that means he violated, he, he went across, he crossed that red line for attorneys general. And in normal times, and we don't really know yet whether these are normal times or not, but in normal times, that's a resignation offense. I mean, it's just something you can't do that and stay in your job as attorney general. You know, it is, it's impossible to be um, scandalized by each, each moment of this. And one of, I think, our obligations um, in the press is to point out not just when norms are violated, but what really are the norms and call attention just by contrast to the times that norms are actually respected by this administration. You did this yesterday, I think at the beginning of the, um, at the beginning of Sessions' testimony on Twitter, you said, you, you know, citing the fact that Jeff Sessions had said he recused himself, not because his hands were dirty because his Russia meetings had finally come to light, but because of a Department of Justice regulation. And, you know, I thought it was useful when you said on Twitter, that's true, actually. It wasn't yeah. discretionary. There isn't, it, his recusal is not itself a, um, you know, bad optics. Yeah, that's right. And I, it's, it's funny, during Sessions' confirmation, he wouldn't commit to recuse. And I remember watching that and thinking, well, he may not do it now, but he's going to recuse as soon as he gets there, or he's going to be a, in violation of DOJ rules, and the inspector general is probably going to investigate and, and hammer him pretty hard publicly for it. And notably, uh, Jim Comey realized that too. He testified last week that he expected that the attorney general was going to have to to recuse himself. It was pretty obvious to everyone that knows DOJ rules. Now, a lot of that gets lost in the press coverage because of the way it happened. So, you know, these meetings with Kislyak that Sessions hadn't disclosed came to light. And the next day, Sessions recused himself. And Sessions kind of portrayed it all as a coincidence, as I was going to do this anyway. And, you know, we had these meetings set up. We were looking at the question. That's probably all true. I think it's also, I also have a hard time believing it was a coincidence that he recused that day, the day after it was disclosed, but it was coming anyway. He was going to have to recuse. Um, and, and it is, it is probably unhelpful that it gets conflated as often as it does. So tell me about how Sessions stayed or didn't stay in the law, committed to his obligation to tell the whole truth, and yet didn't answer question after question after question without being able to invoke some actual legal reason for doing so. Yeah. And and that goes to, I think, the biggest takeaway from the hearing. I mean, the biggest question, we, we were just talking about it a little bit, is what did he know when he signed off on the firing? Mm -hmm. um, both a criminal question with implications for the president, maybe implications, maybe criminal implications for Jeff Sessions, but probably not. But but certainly for the president and a political scandal for, for Jeff Sessions hidden behind the answer to that question. Um, uh, I will tell you, having worked for uh, an attorney general before, if the answer to that question was no, it never came up when I talked to the president, he would have just said it. He wouldn't have just said, mm. well, there's this principle that 
we don't discuss conversations with the president. Cabinet members go up before Congress all the time and discuss conversations with the president. Um, they'll say, you know, they might get asked about, you know, so Senator Sessions, what do you think, you know, what do you think we ought to do about the increase in violence in America's major cities? And you can see Sessions giving an answer saying, you know, this is a big priority of this administration. I've talked to the president about this and we're committed to doing it. They do it all the time. They hide behind this dodge of I don't want to talk to the president when there's something they when there's answers mm. they don't want to give because it's damaging to them. Um, but so that executive was, privilege, and I think you know Twitter pretty quickly parsed this, doesn't exist. It's not like client attorney privilege that doesn't exist. And even his citing executive privilege was anticipating Trump citing executive privilege. Yeah. That, that's right. And so cabinet officials will often use that in hearings and hope that the committee moves on. And in most cases, the committee will because it's not a major question that mm. goes to the heart of whether the president committed a crime. Right? It. Usually it's about some policy and the, the committee will just move on. They're not going to push for an answer. They're not going to force the administration to formally invoke executive privilege. They're not going to take it to a court. It's just a way to get out of answering a question. That's different in a situation like this. Um, uh, this is a, this is, this conversation goes squarely to something the committee's investigating. So to use it as a dodge here without formally invoking executive privilege really is stretching the law beyond what it allows. And I think what, Se- I think what Sessions is counting on is, well, first let me back up. Obviously, they didn't want to invoke executive privilege formally going into this because that's incredibly controversial to do. It, it takes it requires the president himself to make the determination. Uh, a member of you know, a member of the cabinet can't do it. And what Sessions is counting on is that a Republican Senate and a Republican-led committee isn't going to take that next step and send him a subpoena and say, "Look, you wouldn't answer this. Um, we are now subpoenaing you. We're bringing you back in under subpoena to answer these questions. If you're not going to." The president has to take a formal step of invoking executive privilege. And then what we'll do in response is consider whether to hold you in contempt, whether to go to court Mm. and ask a court to compel your testimony. Sessions was trying to avoid that process um, by not, well, by not asking or not not working with the White House for the president to formally invoke executive privilege. You know, it's um, what sort of interested me in Sessions fudging the question of on what grounds he was not going to answer questions made me think that we're just it's so constantly in another idiom that's not government and the law. You almost felt like Sessions was worried that if he talked about those meetings, which he was obliged to do, he was obliged to tell the whole truth. I mean, without citing the, you know, without taking the fifth, he's, uh, you know, obliged by his oath to tell the whole truth about what happened in those meetings. But in any case, what he seemed to be saying was, well, I have sort of a gentlemanly pact that like, you know, my reticence is justified by my loyalty. And that actually the thing he didn't want to do was be seen as leaking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't, can't you imagine worrying that Twitter, that, that Trump was going to go to town on Twitter saying like Sessions, <laughs> a you know, disloyal, um, another disloyal leaker. Yeah, you can see that. It'd be extraordinary. Um, but, but you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, I think one of the things we, we learned, so yeah, that's clearly what I, I can imagine Sessions trying to avoid that. And also counting the, on the fact that 
it's a norm that you go up and answer these questions when pressed, right? Um, it's like a lot of things with this administration that a lot of Americans are finding out is so much of our government is based not on formal law, but on kind of norms and practices and precedent that, that we follow. And the president has just run right through those. Started in the campaign with you know, not releasing his tax returns, with talking about prosecuting a, a political opponent, Hillary Clinton, if he won. It continued as, uh, during the transition with not disposing of his assets. And it continued even through the hearing yesterday. It wasn't just, the, it wasn't just by the way, what, that Sessions wouldn't answer those questions. But remember, he got out of two other hearings to come do this. Mm. You, there are four hearings that every cabinet official is supposed to testify at every year, House and Senate appropriations and House and Senate oversight. You typically, for your, your, your oversight committee for Sessions, it would be judiciary. He just blew that off yesterday and came and did this instead. Um, and I know a little bit of the behind the scenes, I think, of why he did it. But those norms only work if people are willing to enforce them. And what you saw are the Republican chairman of the two appropriations committee just kind of letting him off the hook instead of saying, well, fine, you don't want to come Tuesday, you'd be here Wednesday or be here Thursday. And if they don't, if you don't see Chairman Burr, you know, move to subpoena te- sessions on this testimony, move to try to make him testify, it just shows how, you know, a president that's willing to violate these norms, if he has a party that controls Congress that won't enforce them, you can kind of get away with it. Do you see any republic any of the Republicans in the room yesterday? Did you see any of them just getting that like cold, scared feeling that things are going off the rails? I know I'm not talking about, you know, our white knight that we hope is going to turn and, you know, start gunning for impeachment. I've given up that fantasy that there's, you know, a Republican that will put country before party. But it, you know, I think some of the Republicans acquitted themselves with dignity and, you know, may just be like Jim Comey, constitutionally incapable of so flagrantly spiting the hundreds of years of tradition of of behaving lawfully in government. Yeah, I saw it a little bit less yesterday than I did in the previous uh, Intelligence Committee hearing. I think largely because uh, for most of them, probably actually all of them on that committee, Jeff Sessions is a former colleague of theirs. Yeah. So they were a little more deferential than they've been to other witnesses. Um, but you did hear, at least for the most part from the Republicans, or, or at least from some of the Republicans, some questions that indicated that they think it would be inappropriate for the president to fire the special counsel. Um, it, it's it seems obvious that would be inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, but look, he fired Jim Comey, and most of them didn't say anything. Most of them kind of encouraged it. That was a red line for the president, and he marched across it, and they kind of let him let him get away with it. So it is important for them to now start to talk about what are other red lines that the president can't get away with, and firing. Director Mueller would be one of them. And I think you saw in some really smart questioning, Mark Warner asking about another one, and that's pardons. Um, I think a lot of people didn't know why he was asking that question. I think he was trying to, to get on the record, this is a red line that can't be crossed, and I want to I put this out here, and let's start talking about it, and let's get Republicans on the record if they think it'd be appropriate if the president pardoned people preemptively, and let's try to get Jeff Sessions on the record. And it was a little odd that Sessions dodged that question. Um, very, very odd because he used he didn't use kind of the the in between executive privilege on that he he wouldn't talk about conversations with people at the department and said well there are other some other privileges without saying what they are. One of the things you you I think thought was one of the was a chief takeaway of of yesterday's testimony was that Sessions earned himself a trip to the grand jury if if Robert Mueller ends up investigating obstruction of justice Sessions 
almost inevitably will go to the grand jury to, to discuss his conversations with Trump. And then he really will have to do it. He can't say, yeah, he can't dodge or stonewall. What, what made him earn that distinct privilege? So first of all, I mean, you have to assume that, that Mueller is investigating obstruction of justice. And I, I think he is. It's hard to see how he wouldn't, just given the facts that are publicly known. Um, and I, I suspect within probably within a week or two, we'll see it officially confirmed, not, not through some announcement from his office, but through press reports that he is investigating obstruction of justice. I just don't, I don't see how he won't be, and I'd be very surprised if it doesn't leak. So if, if um, you assume that he is going to investigate that, then put yourself in your shoes. You're watching this hearing, and you see that Sessions won't answer this question, and you think, well, why won't he answer this question? Um, there must be some. You know, there must be some answer that he, you know, that, that is damaging to the president or damaging to him. And I need to know what it is because mm-hmm. to make a, an obstruction of justice case against the president, you have to show his intent. You have to show that um, uh, he knew it wasn't inappropriate when he was asking. Uh, uh, Jim Comey to quash the Flynn investigation, mm-hmm. and then you connect you connect the dots with his firing and show that when he didn't get the answer he wanted, he fired him. And so you need you would want to ask Jeff Sessions these questions that he wouldn't answer, which are what did Trump tell you about why he was uh, firing Jim Comey? And also in that there was about a month about a six week period between the time that Comey confirmed the investigation uh, on March twentieth before uh, a House committee and when he was fired. And we know that's the time the president was really upset and was calling other people. I've always found it hard to believe that the president called people he barely knows, like Dan Coates and Mike Pompeo and Mike Rogers, and asked them to intervene in the investigation, and he never called Jeff Sessions. Um, I have to believe he called Jeff Sessions and uh, urged him to quash the investigation somehow, or at least complained about it. Um, and Bob Mueller is going to want to know the answer to that question. And if he subpoenas him to the grand jury, Sessions can assert executive privilege, and it will almost certainly be quashed. Uh, the Supreme Court has held in previous cases, you know, first first in the Nixon tapes case, um, that executive privilege is trumped by the need to find evidence of wrongdoing in a criminal case. And then again, in the 90s, when Mike Espy, the Clinton Agriculture Secretary, was indicted, they held specifically that a grand jury's need for criminal uh, for in- information that could show criminal wrongdoing is Trump's executive privilege. So hmm. he could try to cite hmm. it, and I think it'd be a pretty short appeal, and he'd have to testify. So that's music to my ears, because as much as I have tried with all kinds of breathing practices to let go of the, you know, so-called impeachment fantasy, the idea that someday, you know, someday and ideally soon all this will be undone and will be, you know, things will go back to normal. In place of that fantasy, I just have to believe that the truth will out. And it, it comes out sometimes in something like Comey's testimony. I think Comey's, you know, craving for tapes is a craving just for documentation that can't be refuted and obscured and torqued on Twitter. And, you know, I have that same, my better angels have that same goal, the truth. I think you're right. And and look, it will, um, because Bob Mueller will try to get to the bottom of it. And look, I've worked with Bob Mueller. He was the director uh, of the FBI when I was at DOJ. He yeah. is dogged. He rides his team hard. He works people to death. And he's going to want to try to find out what happened, and he won't stop until he does. And 
I would look at, there was this interesting hire that he made. This gets a little inside baseball, but he hired this guy by the name of Michael Dreben last okay. week from the Solicitor General's office, who is not a prosecutor. He's not an investigator. He's an expert in criminal law and especially in appellate criminal law. And that looked to me like, you don't need Michael Dreben on the team to figure out whether crimes were committed. You need him on the team to figure out how to pierce executive privilege in a grand jury. Hmm. Um, can the questions like, can a sitting president of the United States be indicted, which uh, a different office in DOJ has said no the couple times it's looked at it. You look at him to think through really complicated questions of criminal law, and that suggested to me that, that um, Bob Mueller is fairly, well, I won't say far along in his thinking, but farther along in his thinking about this case and how to proceed than those of us on the outside looking in actually know. Again, this is such good news. Everybody should look up Michael Dreeben right now, <laughs> rather than being a virtuoso on Twitter. Just, you know, something that suggests that he really is in the weeds on these details is that his uh, one of his most exalted publications is something called Hot Cargo Agreements in the Construction Industry, Restraints on Subcontracting Under the Proviso to Section 8 parentheses, E. Um, that was in the Duke Law Journal and should give some sense of how committed <laughs> this guy is to getting into the details. He is a scary, scary smart guy. So, you know, as I told you before, I want this not to end up being a reality show, but be an attenuated episode of Law & Order <laughs> that ends with justice being served. But we do have to address that this was a television event. I don't know if the ratings are in for yesterday's testimony by Jeff Sessions. There's never even any discussion about whether these things will be televised and televised all over. So there is a reality show component. Everybody's looking to see the dynamics between Sessions and the senators and make hay of them, often on Twitter or cable news. What did you make of simply his performance? Sessions' performance and maybe how he behaved with his scene partners, including, uh, you know, Senator Harris and so forth. Yeah, it, it wasn't good. Um, I've prepped, so I've prepped uh, a lot of witnesses for hearings, including an attorney general, Eric Holder. And one of the things I used to tell him all the time that is the most important thing to remember, and I told, and I wasn't the only one, is the minute you lose your cool in one of these hearings, you've lost. Mm. Um, you... People are looking not at the senators. They're watching the senators, but they're really watching you. You're the star of this show, if this is a reality show. And you cannot lose your cool. Uh, and the minute you do, people look at you and think, huh, that's interesting. I wonder, what's, wonder why he's so upset about that. And you lose the exchange. Sessions lost his cool a number of times yesterday. He really he did. Was, I had, think he even said, I'm nervous. He said, I'm nervous. And that was such an admission. Um, you know, slow down. I, I can't answer questions these fast. It's making me very nervous. Um, I, I would have died if the attorney general I worked for yeah. said something like that in a, in a hearing. Um, it, it really shows kind of, kind of just weakness. Um, he was, you know, he was testy. He was defensive. And then most importantly, he was evasive. He was yeah. evasive in two ways. There were a number of things he couldn't recall. And then, of course, there are these questions he wouldn't answer. And, you know, when you won't answer these questions, no one believes it's because of some high-held privilege that you don't discuss conversations with the president. People, it, I think people watching at home can figure out what that means. They mm. mean, you know, they mean, it means the answer is a bad answer and you don't want to give it. Yeah. And so, you know, when you add it together, testy, defensive, hostile, and evasive, it's just not a good performance. And um, 
usually people give bad performances like that when the answers they have are bad, when mm. they, they really don't have a good story to tell. Um, otherwise, you go up confident and, and willing to tell your story. Now, you might get mad sometimes if you think people are, are treating you unfairly, but you at least have a story to tell and you stick with it. And you just weren't, weren't able to see Sessions do that in a lot of cases because he just couldn't give the underlying answers. It did seem like even if he's, you know, completely clean and, you know, had these meetings with Russians for perfectly innocuous reasons and, you know, didn't, wasn't part of any kind of obstruction of justice, why is he our attorney general? Yeah. And by the way, that's the question about so much of this is, so I've always thought, I've always thought the idea of collusion would never be proved just because it seems to me Boris and Natasha wouldn't fly over here and sit down with Paul Manafort and go, hey, we're going to hack this stuff. What do you think we should do with it? Maybe there's something more subtle that's harder to prove. But that, you know, the if there's anything that happened in 2016, it'll be financial ties and something more subtle than just outright direct collusion to hack Hillary Clinton's emails. But the thing that always makes you more suspicious is why is the fact that they conceal everything. Sessions doesn't disclose these meetings he had with Ambassador Kislyak. Jared Kushner does the same thing. He doesn't disclose his meetings uh, with the ambassador. And then, and then not only did he have these meetings he disclosed, but he tried to have a secret channel to talk with Moscow. Flynn doesn't tell the truth about his conversations um, uh, with the ambassador. And then the president, when he has this one-on-one meeting with Jim Comey, he asks the vice president and the attorney general to leave the room before he does. All of this just looks so suspicious, and it makes it look like you're trying to hide something. And that's what makes them look guilty. Yeah. Um, yeah. Innocent people usually don't hide everything that they're doing. And maybe, they're, maybe the, the charitable explanation is they know it looks bad, so even if they don't think they're doing anything wrong, they want to hide it. But that's the most charitable interpretation, and that's not even favorable since you're still obviously not being forthcoming. Thank you so much for being here, Matt. This has been uh, very illuminating, and um, I guess we'll keep watching. Yeah, we will. Thank (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And that's our show for today. But before we go, are you following Trumpcast on Twitter? To keep up with the latest on Trumpcast, be sure to follow our handle, at RealTrumpcast. That's at RealTrumpcast. And hey, are you looking to check out a new show? Go and listen to one of our newer Slate shows, I Have to Ask. It's hosted by Isaac Chotner, who's known for his direct questions and strong follow-ups. Past guests include Senator Chuck Schumer, White House reporter Ashley Parker, and his most recent show is with the novelist George Saunders. You can find all the episodes of I Have to Ask at slate.com ask. That's slate.com ask. Ask. Today's show was produced by Jason DeLeon, and I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast.